10 can phone Mike and Armand Joe Queez We the ones that you can depend on To bring the voices from the inside out Locked down but they not locked out No filter over here Check what we be talking about Feet up in the trenches Bop while you're on defenses Metal detector before you enter Shaky medical and see your stitches They be pushing their weight around Educate Didn't have the time to wait around Taking classes while they played around That's what we call staying down What we call staying down That's what we call staying down Mike Armand Quiz. Dang this is 10 can phone. Where'd the intro go? Where did it go? Uh-uh. Fuck. Why do I have a hand? I got <laughs> you raising your hand? I don't know. What happened? Your computer sound? Dang. Oh, that must have booming too. It was good. Just keep going. I mean, uh, Quiz, introduce us. <laughs> All right, that's it. That's what we got. We can always make Dang sure this motherfucker, man. What's happening? <laughs> 10 can phone. Misfit Adi, yeah, 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 yeah. You feel me, Slick Rick? You know what I'm saying? The city slicker, yes, him. I am him. You know what I'm saying? Armand, pretty boy, Pustos, punch out Pustos, huh? Straight from the villain himself. What's happening? Oh, Queez, Michael, you know, it's Armand, aka Quentin Quarantino. I'm COVID positive, <laughs> sucking negative. Michael, the artist, how you doing, buddy? Oh man, I think I think the intro is poetic reality as we pre-pre-show just living the life and then pre-show is like life, but on show, yeah, my life has been interesting February, both just in my own work and in the city and in the nation. So keeping it strange. Uh, what is I, although- the date? What? Sorry, what what is the date today? I'm so disconnected. Yeah, good job. Yeah, let's see. The date will uh get the our it's the 20th, February 20th. We're still in Black History Month as I've been coining Afrofuturist February, baby. We are going to the future. We are still striving. We are huh? surviving. Peace, man. Jack history, man. It's Jack History Month for the Yay area. Yay! Love it. Oh man. Uh, but that I was also gonna say that I wanted to say before I was leaving it as a surprise. I now have a standing desk. Oh yeah, you yeah. got to I'm just standing. Yeah. Golf Why is it. that? Why? So yeah, I've been doing this Afrofuturist February programming at Dr. Martin Luther Jr. School, Northeast Portland, and I brought I like talked to them about archiving and thinking about the future, and then I brought in uh, Lisa Jarrett, and we were talking about identity kind of like who are we as people, as Black people in the world, crafting our identities. But the third one, I brought in uh, Lex Weaver, who was like a yoga, mindfulness, breathing, kind of like health life coach person. And I was like, I set this goal for myself because I feel like, and I have no idea, interestingly, what the perception of listeners who met me through this show is even of me. Uh, I was talking to Juwan yesterday and he was like, oh, I didn't know any of the things you were doing. But yeah, I do, I'm an artist, but I also do a lot of administrative work sitting on a computer. So I was like, come on, let me save my life. Let me get out of this chair. Let's yes. do it. Yes. So here I am standing. Absolutely. I what like I learned it. art just from being close to you is there's a lot of paperwork involved with this. Oh, man. There's so much paperwork. Tapes. I can make it rain. It won't <laughs> aim worth a dime. See, how you been, though? Tell us something. I've been seeing you on uh, the social media out there, cupcaked up, looking beautiful, you and your guy, <laughs> doing walks, crafts. It's looking nice, though, honestly. It's a lot of love. I love it. 
Yeah, we, we call Cupcake and I call New Life. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's what I once called it when I didn't understand it. You know, fear <laughs> what you don't know, laugh at what you don't understand. That's how people get by in life, bruh. Before you go there, why don't you break down what's cupcaking? And I feel like I'm like chasing the pan over here. Yeah, nah, nah, nah. Cupcaking is what we used to say about the square ones. You, <laughs> you laid up, you laid up like two points. You feel me? You on the phone all the time telling her what you're doing, where you at. You know what I'm saying? Just all the sweet uh, shit. You over there cupcaking, boy. You baking cakes with it. Get up there. You feel me? And so you're but, new life in it. You're new life yeah, in it. And ultimately, I just like, Educate. you gotta understand. I did a decade in prison, so I slept next to men. I've been around men for 10 years straight, so I need something soft next to me. You feel mm-hmm. me? Why would I want to be with anybody else? I'm rocking with baby. <laughs> you feel me? But also, like I said before, if you see me on social media, like my post, like, you know, this is also school for me because she helping mm-hmm. me, you feel me, with my trauma. She helping me with dealing with my past and, and you know, um, identifying really because the work come within, but like she just helped me identify and stop, you know, engaging in the same cycles or quit choosing the same cycles. You know, sometimes when we get into it, just be like, you know, you got a choice now. You could choose to let it go and it was a misunderstanding or you could choose for it to keep going and, and you feel the way that, you know, in an angry manner or in a hurt manner or, you know, and it's like, when it's broken down like that, it's like, damn, I literally could choose right now because. She not mad, I'm not mad, but because we both were mad, some of us allow our, our cycle. We finna go through it. Hurt people hurt people. So now we finna say hurtful shit. We finna argue. We finna, you feel me? So I'm learning how to live. You feel me? You got to live your way into a new way of thinking. You can't think your way into a new way of living. You know what I'm saying? Because sometimes thoughts are just that, they're thoughts. Until you start putting actions behind it, it doesn't become a plan. You feel me? You write it down, you had a thought, and then you write it down, but it becomes a plan once you actually start putting in the footwork. So with baby, I'm just putting in the full work to be better because when we was in the trenches and when we was stuck and when we was blind to and not blind to, but uneducated on the situation, we had a reason to keep living like that. But now that I've been educated and I've been aware and I've been and I've been able to identify with it, I'm wrong if I choose to keep living like that. I can't, you know, when we was younger, we asked for a better way. We asked for all these blessings. We mm-hmm. asked for all this shit. And then when we get blessed with it, we don't pay attention to our tuitions. We don't get, because we think God going to send us our blessings in the way that we ask for them. And he don't. He sent them in different ways that's going to be best for us, right? So I got to quit blocking my own blessings. I got to step outside of my own way. And, and it just looks like cupcaking, but I'm really learning because I never was like this before to where now I'm like, okay, it's okay to express this. Like, I'm going I'm to let her know when I'm mad. I'm going to let her know when I'm mad. I'm going to change up when I'm mad. So if I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking about them, like I'm thinking about baby, I'm going to send her a text and let her know. Sure. When usually I wouldn't, you feel me? It's communicated. Like, you got to let her know. I can't only let her know when I'm mad or she do something wrong. Like, I got to continue to to praise her and continue to be blessed with her, you feel me? And just where she at and where she taking me with this shit mentally. So, like, it's all good. Like, I, I'm feeling it. These cupcakes got sprinkles and all type of shit. Hey, yeah. no, it, it, it's interesting because that reminds me, because you were talking about, you know, stepping out of your own way. We were speaking recently And I had brought up the analogy, which is interesting, again, is like you described essentially, you know, this snakeskin analogy. And that seems like a little bit of what you're talking about now. But we kind of were talking about what's going on in your life now. Is there a way to crystallize that for someone who doesn't know? Yeah. So and I truly live by I truly live by that that analogy about the snakes. Um, We are reptiles. So 
when we are younger, coming up in these inner cities, these trenches, our parents didn't know, like they didn't know what was to come for us. So they taught us the things that we needed to survive in those times. Mm. They taught us the things that we need, the best that they could, because, you know, my mom never finished school. My granny dropped out like in the third grade and was having to work back then. You feel me? Like, I'm not too far away from my cotton picking bloodline. Like, I'm not too far away from them. Like, I think my granny, you know, I asked her before, like, what you used to do for your work? And she told me she used to pick cotton. You feel me? Like, so I'm not too far away from that. But um, so they taught us the best they could with the knowledge that they had to survive in those times. Right. As we grow, we can't grow until we shed. So we have to, some people, we let go of like the things that matter in life because we are taught that they don't matter. We are brainwashed that they don't matter. So we shed that part in thinking that we growing, holding on to the traumas, gifts that was passed down, gifts that was passed down from fear. You feel me? Like the shit we was blessed with. If you go to school, you and your brother, if your brother fight, you fight. You feel me? Like all these things was out of fear of right. not surviving. So this is what our parents was teaching us. It was like never about like go get A's and B's in school. It was more like you make sure you and your brother stay together on your way home from school. Right. You feel me? Like you make sure if something happened to your brother, you go to it. It's on, you feel me? So right. like these are the things that we was taught, but also like we was taught to survive in those times. So as we grow, we got to shed that. Mm-hmm. But ultimately unlearning. We can never shed that until we unlearn, until we identify. And a lot of us, it's bigger than identify because a lot of us know it about ourselves, but we still just be like, fuck it, I could get away with it because I'm a nigga, or I could get away with it because I'm a real one. I could get away. Like, you can't foul this shit. These is different fouling cabinets. You know what I'm saying? So I just realized what I'm fouling in my fouling cabinets, and, and it's just like ignorance. You feel me? We choose to be ignorant because they said that Black is ignorant. So when they say Black is ignorant, we like, fuck it. That's an excuse. We gonna do all this crazy shit. And then just fuck it. it was because we black, we niggas, fuck it. we real ones. That's what they expect of us anyway. So we had to change that narrative, you feel me? Because it don't matter until we start to care. And sure. once you start to care, go ahead, Mike. I was just going to say, with that being the case, where are you at with what we were talking about the other day? I got a job. You got a job. The Damn. same job. Look, I called my old boss. This is where I was at with it. I called my old boss in the job like, I need to come back. Mm-hmm. But that same day, he called me back. And my girl told me, don't answer. Just be patient, bro. Like, be patient. Something going to come. I swear to God, the very next day, the job I was waiting for called me. The new job? Yes, sir. Look at this guy. I just, yeah, I just did the background check and eight. Then they like three to 10 days. And, and come on. They gave me my time. Like, I'm. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's a go. I That's forgot, yeah. man, it was well, like a couple days ago, too. I'm tripping. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, for pre-context for the listener, Queez was going to give up hope. Facts. You were, that's what it sounded like. You're like, yeah. I well, you am. Gotta, you got to understand. I think me and you had a conversation. I think, I know me and Armand did with our interview. When I say, if you keep that, I'm going to go back to what I know best. That's a failure mindset. That's a, because we know what the end of that is. And that's what I mean by the cycle and making those decisions. But I was just in a place where I was like, you know, again, the way I was raised, like, you got to eat, bro. Like, you got a family, you got to, you pay bills. Like, this is what you have to do. I, my pops was in theory, you feel me? Like I was in foster homes and group homes from five years old to eight years old and my pops died when I was 11. So like, all I knew was helping my mom. All I knew was grinding and you feel me? And so I went back to that guy. But I also, like I said, me calling you and us popping, it was more like a me needing somebody to tell me like, come on, bro. Like to talk that sense into you, feel me? And that's what a true friend gonna do. Like anyone, like other homies, other homies is gonna be like, all right, brother, I got the pack. We could go do this or we could go do that. You feel me? Like I can help you right. And I love him. I love a motherfucker who's willing to help me. But at the same time, if you see where I'm at in life and you see where I'm trying to go, like you shouldn't be so quick to just throw the pack in my hand. 
You feel me? So I'm just, and again, it's lessons in the stress. And that's what I always say. You feel me? Like it's lessons in that stress. And if you just sit back and pay attention to it. So like, you know, I just thank you for being able to be one of those people that I can call when I'm feeling at my lowest. Cause I, I, I was feeling at my lowest and I was feeling, you know, depression. I was feeling like, you feel me? A lot of different things. And, you know, you just being one of the people that I could tap in with. I salute you for that though, Mike, for real. I mean, you're doing the work. And uh, yeah, what, what Mon and I were talking about earlier was just, yeah, about investing time and energy in, in a way it's like not, it's very anti-capitalist inherently because relationships are not capitalist entities while they can be most, you know, but also as like the odds are not in anyone's favor, but I mean, at least for me, that's kind of what calls my investments, but uh, pinging snakeskin, I was going to be like, man, you got some, what's got gators on? You got like, now you got to do an audio description for our visually impaired listeners here. What is going on in your little Zoom bubble? Uh, you know, I'm just fresh to death, but I'm living, you know what I mean? With the brand new jacket. I mean, I'm in quarantine right now at a county quarantine COVID hotel. And I had to dress up just a little bit because this is the most social interaction I've had in a couple You're of weeks. You're in quarantine. Catch us up. I feel like listeners have heard your story, but you came in, you were wearing pink. Now this guy, he looks like a rapper. He's got two beds, room alone. He's in fresh lineup. No, I so I've been at rehab for a month. Someone got quarantined. And again, this rehab is not Malibu passageways. We're not getting (laughs) acupuncture and massages. And it's a, it's a, it's kind of, uh, I guess with the low end of uh, this uh, rehab thing, old building, I had a mouse in my room for a couple of weeks. I would wake up every day and go check on, like, what it ate that day of mine. Um, <laughs> smells like absolute shit, but um, it's good. I'm bl- it's, it's where I need to be. Yeah. But anyway, 50 men on a floor, two to a room, and someone got COVID on the floor. Someone yeah. knew that they let up. And that spread like wildfire. More than 15 of us have gotten COVID. And since testing positive COVID, they shipped us out to these county COVID hotels where everyone, it's very exclusive, guys. You have to have COVID to get in. Epic. Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah, and they just lock us in here, bring us our food, and um, say, go for it. So I've been here for two weeks, getting better, and I'm uh, I'm still breathing. So Yeah, thank- that sounds in, I mean, Salute. when you first, because it's funny, I've been getting, and, and we'll put this content somewhere, maybe on the paywall. We're getting a paywall, guys. But uh, Armand has been sending me little uh, telegrams from the ether. And when I hear them, it's like he has always the same Armand voice where he's like hyping it up. And he's like, I got COVID. And you're like, damn, shit, that sounds terrible. Uh, I was like, oh, God. But yeah, we're being in a hotel alone with your phone is almost like a dream in that jacket you're like trapped in like a millennial dream where you just get to scroll not i'm not i don't think it's a dream but it's almost no, it almost no, no, sounds no. comfortable it, it's honestly it's kind of like counterproductive to what i wanted because mm. i had hit such a low mentally with substances legal stuff pending just all these dark clouds on me I wanted to get institutionalized again. So when I got stuck 
into a, the crappiest rehab that you could be locked down, smelling like dudes farts, die slapping cards, like, and biggest thing, a digital detox, this phone just thrown away. I was starting to like find myself again mm. mm -hmm. because sometimes I learn the hard way. And when I get disconnected like that, it allows me to kind of go back into myself and be like, dude, what do I want out of life? Do I want to keep going into facilities like this for my life? Because that's kind of what uh, I'm manifesting through my actions. So it was kind of weird kind of being snapped back into the real world in a moment, even though it's an alternate universe of COVID. Yeah. But you know what? I've been doing good. I've been seeing guys in this hotel that are in rehab with me going out there, getting high, kind of falling off from their program and whatnot. And I've just been sticking to myself and... And as you were saying, with, 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 the, with the me and my telegrams of, of, of laughter and stuff, that's how I've dealt with all the bullshit in my life. I've always, you know, you can I've gone to too many funerals and we're cracking jokes there. And that's just what me and my family do yeah. is we turn the crabbiest, darkest shit into laughter because that's all you got. But, mm -hmm. you know, I'm happy to be here right now, guys, for real. I mean, it's great to hear you, in a way, it's really interesting, as I say this, someone's listening and they're like, what does that mean? But just the way that you are speaking, like mm -hmm. content and like hum is mm -hmm. focused, um, which is really interesting because in a way when you were in a, a certain other place you were focused but in a scattered way that didn't also seem to be producing what you wanted and it's interesting too like you mentioned depression like I feel like often when folks are depressed they're withdrawn but then there's a way of this like when I'm working with folks and they continue to like state dreams or something and they're like I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do that it's kind of like all right dude yeah and then when there's this like cognitive dissonance between projecting that goal and like not even being close to that, it's like watching a dude be like, I'm going to dunk on him. And then like, can't dribble. <laughs> um, and like the, but yeah, like, and I, so the reason I bring that up is it's, I can hear it literally like in your harmonic resonance, but also in like, in what you're saying, but also yeah, to bring up that, you know, I'm kind of actually trying to send a guy your way right now, which like for me, I was gonna, I want to, you know, I, when I first saw it, apparently there's like a bill to try to get prisons COVID vaxxed. I mean, it's like exciting and like maybe is happening just to try to, you know, like, it's like, was, <laughs> is this a benevolent gift or like, just let him out or whatever, you know, but it's certainly like some invest whatever investment on in the team so to speak but i can speak on that like so i i know this i've been you know while i was in rehab I, all i had was uh my roommate had a uh radio so i've been listening to the the radio on that and they they're trying to put the prisoners up on the list of like higher priority and i think a lot of it comes down to you can't i mean 28 percent of the men in oregon are on mandatory minimums they can't legally be pardoned or get out like that. So, and the last thing that these prisons want to see is themselves get sued because they're, I mean, I seen just in the facility I'm in, I'm far from a jail. I saw how this thing just went from one person to 15 of us in about a couple right. days right. inside of like what's already happened in the jails. Like 
it's Contagionville and they can't, it messes with the, the machine that's been built, you know? So I think it's a liability thing to get these guys, uh, the vaccine. And I don't know, there's, there's a lot of politics and bureaucracy in that. I mean, even just for listeners again, whenever we're hearing this, I mean, between our last recordings, the president was acquitted of uh, incitement of insurrection. So it's just, it's odd times for like systems and ley lines. But yeah, again, interesting because like it being in the situation of trying to send a guy into treatment, like because as a society, we still only have certain ways in certain places to deal with um, people who are struggling with specifically substance abuse. But, you know, as Squeeze brought it up, just like struggling in general, emotionally, like, I feel like when I'm talking to guys, I'm just like, you know, like, are you in therapy? Like, at least, you know, do you guys do therapy? Either of you? Quiz? You talking about two? You talking about me? Oh, okay. Well, I mean, everyone. I mean, I've done therapy. I've done therapy and and whatnot. You know, I've, I've tried to. I do a, like a 12-step program. I get a lot of therapeutic work when that was working with other people that are also dealing with addiction. Mm-hmm. But man, it's it's hard. It's yeah. <laughs> what a simple way of putting it. It's it's difficult to kind of dive into your soul, your psyche, and be like, why am I this way? What factors? Are these socials? Am I crazy? Is this all psychological? Where's the balance of this? You know, because like at some points I was trying, they're, you know, giving me different diagnosis of this and that. You might have general anxiety. You might have bipolar too. And I'm like looking at myself and I'm just like, I don't know if, if, I, if I'm crazy or if it just all these pressures of like, of feeling like I've been denied certain things because of my past actions and trauma that I've been through. So it's, it's a weird balancing act of trying to figure all that out. Sure. I don't have an answer yet, really. To be honest, I just, I had this thing where, and again, you know, shouts out to baby. She helped me realize this because she's big on, you know, therapy and understanding black trauma because black trauma is a little different and black PTSD and, and you know, urban, like it's, it's different. But like for me, in order for me to do that, I'm going to have to speak ill on people that I love. And if, if anybody know me, like I don't, I don't really, you know, I don't put family business in the streets. I don't put, you feel me? Once I put you like, I never speak on you to anybody else and like, put a business on the street. So to, I, I know, because I've now realized where a lot of my trauma come from, like a lot of my ways, you feel me? My girl helped me realize like my dislike for women, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Which led to certain actions and certain careers and certain things, Um, why I am the way I am with women. And sometimes it, it, the connection with my sister, the connection with my mom, like, you know, I, I didn't have that connection. Because it was just chaos from the moment I was born. Just, you know, it was chaos. So, and my mom didn't breastfeed. So I didn't have that connection with her. We went through foster care young, five years old. So my sister, the only woman in my, didn't have that connection with her. So with therapy, I don't want to speak on the things my mom did wrong to cause us to go to foster care. I don't want to speak on, you feel me? my pops being absent. I don't want to speak on, like it's just certain things because I don't, for me, once I put that in the world, then somebody knows that about my family. Once I put that in the world, somebody knows that about my mama. Somebody knows that about my sister. Somebody, and I don't never, 
I'm gonna always speak highly of everybody that I deal with, everybody I mess with. You're gonna, I'm gonna speak highly of you to anybody else. If you run into somebody and say, Oh, I talked to Queens about you, oh yeah, he spoke highly of you. That's what it's gonna always be, no matter what our situation is. So for me with therapy, I would have to go in there and truthfully admit some of the things that you know my family have done and, and the mistakes that I feel they made in my life. And once that's out there, you feel me? Then that's out there, and that's that somebody knows that about my family. And I just that's just like I just eat with that because you know I've always been told what happens in this house, stay in this house. I just don't want to put a bad light on nobody. I don't want to say you feel me like drug use. You feel me, mom? You feel me? Drug use caused us to get taken away from my from our family. You feel me? So like I just don't want to go out there and make it seem like oh my mom was a dope fiend and she wasn't there for us. And you feel me? Because it just no matter how I said it, it's gonna get portrayed in a bad way. You know what I'm saying? But that's, again, that's Black PTSD. Like, that's Black, that's like, you know, being young and being stripped away from your parents. That's the same thing as slavery. Like, they would let them have kids and then they would take the kids from them. And that's why mothers had to talk bad about their kids, like, right in front of them. Mothers had to call their kids stupid. Mothers had to say that they're worthless. Mothers had to say that they're useless, like, to the slave owners because if they had anything good to say about the kids, then that was a great trait for them to be sold. You know what I'm saying? So the psyche of a mother having to talk so bad about her kid just so that he doesn't get taken away. So for me to turn around and, and now speak ill on my mom or speak ill on my brother or speak ill, like I just don't do that. So I trust people, her specifically, and I work through my issues with her. So, you know, them nature walks, I'm saying you always see me on social media and nature walks. That's why I say nature walks to fight the demons. No more pills for better sleeping. You know what I'm saying? Because I used to, yeah, I used to depend on pills. I used to prescription pills to, to numb the pain. You feel me? Big lean, big, big lean, Texas tea to numb the pain. Like I indulged in those things, but now it's like I'm facing it. For the first time in my life, like I'm facing shit sober. You know, I smoke tree, but like sober, like I'm facing everything and I'm I'm living in it. Like I'm actually living in it and expressing and and really feeling the emotions and and not hiding it from you feel me, not not like hiding it from myself that would be sober is like making me really feel what all these emotions is that's helping me grow mm-hmm. amen and that's oh can i just say one thing yeah. like and, and that's like anyone can post anything online but when you know someone and what they're going through and when you see the images going out and then you know what's happening behind the scenes i mean it honestly it's like inspirational dude because it's i'm getting to see a change in you and you're you're possessing something that i want and that, and that is this, this healthy way of kind of dealing with these issues. You're having a trusted other, a partner that you can consign in. And I see the growth in you, man. So like, Thank you. it's Thank just, you. it's big. It's blessing because a lot of people don't have that support system. Like a lot of people, but again, with me and Michael in our situation, sometimes we do have it. We just can't accept it because we don't know how. I don't know how to, what's up with this dude, bro? Like, why is he acting like this, bro? I don't get this. And simple answer is like, oh, he care. You feel me? Like, and that's what she said. Like, he care. That's why he acting like that. But I have been so shielded and so like, I don't, nah, like the relationship is going to always be deeper on your end than it is on my end because I never allow you to get that close to me. And that's a horrible way to live. Like, you block your blessings. You got good people in your life and you so scared of your past catching up to you that you just don't even let people in. So we always ask for these good friends. We always ask for honest and you know, somebody that's going to tell me how it is and somebody's going to let me know and I'm messing up. Like, these is all the qualities we ask for in a friend. And then when we get it, we block it out. We don't, we don't accept it. So yeah. now I'm learning like to accept, but this is the thing about unlearning. Let me not get it messed up. In order for you to unlearn, you have to admit that the things you have been taught was wrong. 
Nobody wants to say my big homie, my mama, my granny, my nobody wants to say them person people was wrong. And ultimately, nobody wants to say the way I've been living for the last 20 years has been wrong. You have to be able to admit that, all right, it was fucked up. Like they taught me wrong. Mm-hmm. But you know. In a society where everybody wants to know everything, mm-hmm. in a society where everybody wants to, you know, like nobody could be wrong these days. Like nobody could be wrong these days. Like nobody's admitting that they're wrong these days. So, you know, it's just that's the thing about unlearning. That's the hard part is admitting that, okay, my upbringing was wrong or, you know, this is what's wrong with me and start looking at it as a problem because it's a problem. In our community, we are so shielded that we do not look at stuff as a problem. Yes, because when we get around, you feel me, our counterpartners and we get around other people and they like kind of figure out and hear your story like, oh my God, you went through what? Yeah. And for me, it's like, yeah, like everybody I know ain't, ain't never seen a daddy in the hood. Nobody had no goddamn, you feel me? And we, oh, that's normalizing trauma. We normalize our trauma. We have to quit normalizing our trauma and accept that there's something wrong with us. And that's I mean, it. I think, I mean, what you, the, the last point, reminds me of a time I was doing a lot of organizing in Baltimore before I came out west and I remember I was at some symposium and the speaker comes up and he goes like oh we're at 300 something murders this week or whatever and every no one like reacts and he's like yeah you know whatever just and he's like that's because we're traumatized like that's not okay to just be talking about it in that way but you made a lot of really interesting points and I do want to say you were talking about like you know, not being able to see the friendship. And that's so, you know, right now we all have a, a peer. And I guess like, as we, I'm the only one, I guess Armand is in Oregon, but is Quarantino. But yeah, there's a comrade um, who right now is kind of grappling with the situation. And and I'm trying to like usher him in the direction of where Armand is at right now. Mm-hmm. And when we, it was like a challenging conversation in a lot of ways, because these patterns emerge where it's like, well, this happened and that happened. And it's like, well, this happened because of that. And this happened because of that. And I'm like, well, I mean, I don't even need, I'm not trying to admonish what's happening. Like, it's just all good. And also it's not, can't, it's not going to be all good. And so we need to like come up with a plan, right? We need to like start shedding that skin. And, you know, when you were talking about like the pills to sleep kind of situation, I mean, that is interesting too, because just from what I know about our comrade, like there is trauma there, right? Like maybe one could even assume it, but I also just know. So look, this know tin can phone. More than I know. This, huh? this is 10 can phone with a real get spoken. This is a situation. And this is a real life situation for you, Mike. Like yesterday. <laughs> so you have to think about this. You see where we are in the, this, what we stand for and what we how we trying to educate our peers and help our peers grow. Imagine being in a situation where your close friend is selling your other close friends his poison. That's, I mean, his that's literally off. the situation, you know what I mean? And that was kind of said is like, at the end, he was like, you know, I don't even, it kind of was like a weird deal. And then at the end, it was just like, you know, how can I support? And it was kind of like, I've been planning, I'm trying to figure, you know, it's like the mood shift a little bit, kind of like, let's figure out this transition situation. And he said, you know, I've never had someone who cares. Like I never had a friend, not someone who's trying to get up on me and get some of my bag or see what they can get off of me. I've never had this. And I mean, as you said, it's my life experience. I've never had anyone tell me that or whatever. So it's a profound experience embodiedly, but it's also like 
in the moment, it's like a movie, and you're like, oh, shit, that happens? What, really? You know, it's kind of just like, yeah. oh, the secret is like, you needed someone to just not fucking not care, you know? And so, I mean, yeah, onto what you were saying, but it's just interesting. It's that... different when you know the person, though. Because usually when we have friends that are struggling with addiction, we only know them. We don't know the people they're getting it from. We don't know the people they're yeah. hanging with. So when you actually have a bean that you could say, like, I know it's this person because I've seen it, like, it makes it harder because it's like, damn, bro, like, he supposed to be your partner too type shit. You feel me? And, yeah, that's a sticky situation. But just, again, to just show the death and just how real, you know, what you signed up for, what you didn't even know you were signing up for when you signed up to just run an art class. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in, a, in ways, I had expectation like i think as it all happens it's there's not surprise and at the same time you know i remember when obama was was a uh whatever campaigning and like the primary critique was like there's no time for on the job training and he's like bro i got this you know i'm just like i'm showing up i think there's ways that i struggle and the other thing that i was going to say about therapy is like and that's I mean, that's this whole situation is is making me think of it because he was also just has trauma, needs to kind of like erase the trauma. And though it is only through the facing of the trauma that, you know, and I, I don't I don't think I think this was prior to record or maybe was on, but that like addiction, the solution to addiction is not sobriety. The solution to addiction is connection. And yeah. what Armand was saying and like, you know, and I am witnessing it in this weird way without prior knowledge per se, or like devout experience, but I develop it. But also just like, you know, the, I don't know, it's, I mean, I guess like, and this is when I do this for folks who are learning my expressive style, my mind is going through it's like flashing, like prison industrial complex, like mm -hmm. colonial culture, yeah. like capitalism. <laughs> you know, we ain't spending money on nothing good. You know, they prison this pipeline, school to prison. And it's like, of course, am I surprised we ended up here? No. Am I surprised I'm in this situation? No. I'm I'm teaching an art class in a prison. Let's hang out with them who ain't gonna be able to fucking do this. <laughs> That's what it is. Like it never was anything, maybe not that. And you know. Uh, I mean, it's just, I'm excited in this like nexus moment, like before, again, just reflecting on, on Armand, reflecting on Queez, like the different changes they're talking about making in this like kind of more public archive. But again, pre-show, Mon was talking about this comedian. Was it a comedian? Yeah, Patrice O'Neill. And it's just like interesting. We were talking about like this kind of come up story, this come up time, this come up moment. And, you know, these challenging life experiences are, you know, hardened steel cuts good, you know what I mean? Like, this is, this is the kind of character development that bootstraps are figuratively tied to, but, you know, it does mean something. Um, and I think, again, this is where the premise for this project began is that these stories were rich and brilliant inside, but people who have them don't even really consider their story as worthy of remembrance. And the last thing I wanted to ping was, 
you know, so that's what I was going to say to you, Quiz. It's just that, like, I, I think trauma reflection is important. And there's also a way to bring up stuff that happened without demonizing the character of the participant. Because yeah. we all know that it's all some kind of stuff that in a way we don't have control over. And it's like reverberation of a past we also didn't have control over. And it is hard. And though this like conscious engagement in that struggle that is, is self-healing is like societally healing. And also because it can be in a way safe, not that confiding in your partner is problematic, but I also think, and in my own experiences have discovered that there's more work to do in oneself than any one other person can hold. And so- No, that's important. That's in, that's important you say that because that's how this started was like, she gave me a space you know, when it came out, it was like, she was like, I know you aren't even capable of being a good partner right now. <laughs> like, it, you just been through so much, especially being conscious of, you know, coming home and going through everything I had to go through when I came home. So it was never, it was never rushed. Like, I, it was never rushed. It was never like, this has to happen. It was like, here, take this space. And uh, the way she helped me was books. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is what I'm on right now. The four agreements. Love it. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, so how she helped me was she gave me books. It wasn't necessarily me and her talking. It was me like, you know, she recognized because she's going through her own healing and she's already was in that process. So the art of love, all these different self-help books and all these different books, Gardening While Black, all these different books. And like she allowed, she gave me the tool to get the information that I needed. You know, and it's an old saying, if you don't want to learn, put it in a book. If you want to keep it away from the Blacks, put it in a book. They don't read, right? So what I'm looking at is like, that's crazy to me that the way you allow me to learn about myself and begin to heal myself is through these books that now full circle, you feel me? Didn't, and pardon me when I say that, but that's what we used to say. Ah, niggas don't read. Mm -hmm. Bro, we ain't, niggas, we on the block. We ain't, you feel me? So like now it's like, okay, it, I'm up. Post up, and I remember being at um at the shoreline, and I'm on ankle monitor. Um, you feel me? Halfway house, and I remember I'm right downtown Portland, bro. All the clubs, the strip club right here on the corner. It's four strip clubs on the corner, right where I'm at. And I just remember like hearing everybody out there. They up and down the street. It's you feel me? Females, dudes. They part big partying, and I just remember looking out my window, just like damn. And I thought I would have a sense of wanting to be there. And really, I was comfortable where I was at, like, because I was working on my book at that time. And, like, I think I remember talking to you about it, Michael. Like, this shit feel crazy to me. Like, I literally, my first instant was, I'm out here. Like, just off that noise alone, it sparked a feeling in me. So we have to be conscious and be careful. And I say all that to say, be conscious, be careful, you know, of what we thinking. Because it, it thought invoke feeling, which then invoke actions. You feel me? Something may not bother you until you, then you think about, it, are you here? I hear somebody say something, think about it. And I automatically have an emotion about it. And after I had that emotion about it, it's only one thing left. I got to carry out the act. Now the action is coming behind it. So, you know, that's something I'm learning. Like she did, it, I'm still conscious of the things that I open up about because, you know, I just fear for people having too much information about me. Growing up, how we came up, the more somebody know about you, that's more ammo they got when they get mad at you. You know what I'm saying? Like, as soon as you get mad, oh, this shit is going to be on, on blast and on front street. But we pay attention. So we already been through stuff. We've been friends for two years before we ever even became partners. Mm -hmm. 
like partnership is kind of new. We've been friends for two, then or three years already. Mm-hmm. And so it's it, through the test of time, I've seen like, okay, she different, bro. Like she really, everything is about me. Everything is about bettering me and mentally though. You know what I'm saying? Like, I remember hanging with her and she like, bro, if you want to hang with me, you got to put in like five applications a day. Like, you hang <laughs> with me, you got to put in five applications. I'm like, what the fuck, Craigslist? Like, hell no, like what? But that's what the thing was. Like, if you really like hanging with me, you want to hang with me, put in these applications. Mm-hmm. Or or you finna be right back at the shoreline. You can go hang out at the shoreline. You want to just hang out and play video games? You can do that at the shoreline. Mm-hmm. She's going to work and shit. So, you feel me? Things like that, Mike. Like, it's never was like, just her, me talking to her. She showed me through sure. action. You feel me? Like, and then nature, you feel me? She introduced me to nature and really showed me what it's like when you, listen, it's different. When you stand there and you close your eyes, bro, and you can hear the wind blowing through the trees, you can hear the water and you can hear the birds chirping and it's all in one as unity. Come on, bro, that's peace, bro. Like you, when you hear that, if you ever can really experience that, like when I experienced that, like all the capitalist eras of the world is erased. When you go to nature, like there's no capitalist ran anything in nature. You just got to be one with. So like, and so that helped me too. Like I'm talking about Jordans and all type of shit. I'm out there in Jordans and all type of shit. And it, it let me know that I put the worth on material things. Right, right. You know, and so. I, I just want to clarify, I don't mean that it's like not good, which I don't think you're hearing, but was going to say, like, I remember when Joe first got out, he was like, oh man, it feels like it didn't even happen. And I was like literally coming back from camping and one of my partners was in the car and so she could hear and she goes, oh, that's trauma. You know, like it is this. And so when you were just talking about and I I think, again, from just my near proximity to the trauma and as you said as well, like cotton picking is not far back that. Yeah, just inviting because I know from my own relationships in both directions that it's not something that all the work can be done, mm-hmm. but not because I think no work can be done there. But the reason I was bringing that up is I want to try to, with our collective powers, because like we all know Brother Irving, mayor, the next future mayor of Portland is now on these streets, you know, hitting the stuff, doing the things. Um, but I'm just like, man, can we get a safe enough exterior to prison group of guys together to like do this hard work that in a way seems like as we almost disparately navigate it individually to collaborate to like hold a larger space together so that's a dream I'm having and was a a a segue to it not that I think any of the paths that we're on is somehow not the right one or something yeah well can I speak on that real quick it's just like um and I get that in reflecting on my life and our lives and how we're doing it is we're writing the narrative and we have to. And when I'm active in my destruction, my chaos, what I realized is I don't know if we could get to that point of helping others if I cannot help myself. Right. Like, and so for me, it's like we're re I'm trying to rewrite the narrative of my own life so that I can actually overcome this. Because in this country, say a lot about it, we love an underdog in this country. We love to see a a rise from rags to some riches, whatever that means. And I don't walk that walk, and I'm just talking that talk. My words don't mean You know what I mean? And, man, I just, a lot of things what Queez was saying, because I went the opposite way. Like, I came out 
And I had a really good friend that was waiting for me. She held it down for me when I was mm. in my lowest points of my life. Mm. And because of my traumas, my relationships with females and such, I couldn't even embrace that. Mm. And I couldn't even embrace this person that just used this, you know, and now that I've cleared my mind and, and ruined so much more destruction, and she's just like, man, you had this. I was here the whole time. Why are you now just coming to this after breaking my heart, breaking your heart, breaking some family's heart? And I'm just like, I was so blind to that. I didn't even know what I had because I was in my own way with so many different things. So I don't know if that made sense, but I think it might have. No, it does. And I, I do, I, I like uh, applaud this kind of like reach enlightenment before teach enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, similar to like, the wisdom of brother Ben, like every bit of his wisdom was almost like an inside kind of kernel that was like a diamond forged under high pressure. And like, here I am. And a lot of these instances, like this is a rare instance where you guys, my collaborators are like peer age to me or younger, you know, yeah. often I'm working with dudes who are like, you know, double my age or whatever, or yeah. like, you know, one and a half. And it's this interesting situation where even in their, as they're grappling, there's some crystallization of wisdom there. And there's also something from my own position that can be shared. And I think even in this circle, there's been a lot of wisdom from different places that have been kind of contributed to the collective. And so, yeah, I applaud this. You know, if, if we thought of it like an organism where we're all reaching out into the world individually and gaining our own individual knowledges and coming back and linking them together because, and, and as I see in this context specifically, like ain't no one looking out for, I mean, in ways, but a lot of the organizations are like people who were inside and have kind of been recruited to this cause due to it affecting them. And so, and has developed solidarity among people who have never experienced prison, but you know, it remains, like the work that we're talking about doing is actually hard and sometimes even kind of co-conspirators in the abolition movement can't do it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's like, cause going back to what Ben said, it's like in the interview that I did with him, it's like he had these successes in, in, in the institution at the penitentiary. And I was like, do you think that the prison helped you? Do you think it gave you this opportunity? And he said, no, I mean, I did this despite what this prison did. And I feel like that's what I've been doing. What we've been doing is everything in spite of this force of the institutionalism coming at us. And that's one thing that like, I've been trying to drop is like, man, I might not be able to change any political structure out there, but through things like this, that's when I, that's really where I can help. Cause I can get on my soapbox all day and yell at this politician doing this and that. And I know what time it is. They're politicians. That's their game. Their game is this popularity contest, the power. And I get that. I know it very well. So it's like, I can either be frustrated at that my whole life. And just what, what are these, a lot of these social justice folks just tweet things and this and that, and kind of be lost in that sauce. Or I can just try to really focus in on these small building blocks and pray to whatever higher power I have that it will manifest to something bigger. And that's what we can do. And I think, again, like, we're doing it at this moment. It's crazy. I mean, it's beautiful to see. I just wanted to, you know, acknowledge our mom, man. You brave, though, because uh, 
a lot of people hide their addiction. A lot of people hide what they're going through and have to go through rehab. Rehab is like looked down upon, like, you feel me? Coming from this culture and what we stand for. So like, I just applaud you, you feel me, for the time you have with us and just putting it all on blast. Like that's what 10 Can Phone was. I remember the original name was going to be Stripping the Blue. <laughs> stripping the Blue, you feel me? Stripping the Color was just going to be raw. And uh, but through 10 Can Phone, like, you know, just the authenticity and the rawness and just you putting your sickness, cause you know, addiction is a sickness and they need to start realizing that. And um, putting it on front street for the people, like you're helping the politicians, like you helping the little somebody that's in the neighborhood that's really going through it. The politician can't help them. The politician, no laws they change, no rules they change. That shit doesn't help the people because the, the shit is in the streets. So you gotta be in the streets with it. You know what I'm saying? In 10 can phone, we in the trenches, look up. Every 10 part, we always at, we always in, in the neighborhood. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's in the trenches. So I just salute you, brother. I salute you for putting your sickness on front street and being and showing that, you know, you there. A lot of people don't even make it to where you are now. Mm-hmm. So just am- admire your growth, admire that you even there. Cause I remember upon a time when you probably wouldn't even go to rehab, like fuck rehab, I'd rather go, you feel me? So just admire where you are now, your journey, bro. I salute you, bro. I see you, bro. And keep standing up. And that's, I mean, one last thing, and we can poke it back, uh, wrap it up. But, like, going to prison, dealing with that. I didn't know about rehab before prison. I didn't think you could have a problem with alcohol if you're not doing heroin and meth. That's where my mind was. I was like, I'm not doing those drugs. They got a problem. I'm doing all this. No problem here. I'm making money. Blah, blah, blah. And then I came out of prison with so much damn shame. That was what the biggest force with me not even wanting to dive into this project at first. Right. Is that I had so much shame. I didn't want to put this shit out there like this. I come from a culture where you don't talk about this, you know, especially Middle Eastern American. Like, you don't talk. I mean, addiction runs deep in my family for generations. Mad opium. Mad alcoholism. My dad used to say, and rest in peace, my Bubba Bazorg, my grandpa, he used to say he used to do his prayers every morning. While getting drunk, doing it, he's praying five times a day, getting drunk, doing it. And you don't talk about this ever. I've never said that out loud to any person ever. And I came out with so much shame that I wanted to pretend like nothing ever happened. So I get where Joe came from. Like, it never happened. Yeah, I got a job now. I'm doing this and that. You know, I'm hopping back into life. You see me? Like, this stuff never happened. And I'm realizing, like, the biggest power we have is to kind of acknowledge that and then try to find a solution. So yeah. I'm doing my best. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, the show is an archive of everyone doing a great job. And, you know, that was, it was an interesting component to with our comrade. Cause I was like, look, man, no shame. And like some people do the stuff and get on by. And it just seems like we're working together and you've set these goals and in support of you meeting those goals, I think the thing in the way is this thing. And so, like, that's not a problem, but we can work together on the solution. That's it. And so, you know, as Squeeze said, it's like it's a sickness and it needs to be addressed in a certain way. And it's just interesting, again, like when I was saying I am kind of inviting our man to, like, catch up with Mon's mouse friend, you know what I mean? But it is this path that might lead to what all the stuff we're talking about. And the last thing I wanted to do is call out. It's funny. Cause I like see the things and I'm like, I, I guess if I was smarter and better at my job, I would have like a set list, but Baltimore mayor, I used to march with him uh, with an activist group called the 300 men March. And we used to go out every Friday night and like just patrol the streets of Baltimore, projecting positivity into the streets, putting up signs on abandoned row houses and uh, 
you know, he, Brandon Scott, you know, rose up since then and is now Baltimore mayor. And I saw actually in Portland, there's a, like a street team that's like mental health response to like emergency, you could call them. And then I saw that like a little bit ago and I just saw like this morning, Brandon Scott, uh, mayor of Baltimore has like a whole, swore in a whole team of people specifically responding to trauma because they're just like, yo, it's Baltimore. And this is, it is normal for every man, woman, child on the streets to actually be suffering trauma. And if anything's going on, like we need someone who can address this. And this is the kind of stuff that we might've been seeing if Portland had, you know, a one of the write-in black female candidates for mayor. And instead we have this situation and it's almost funny because I've been popping into classrooms teaching about the mayor. And I had a kid be like, oh, Ted, because Ted was like, oh, it's really a shame to see people living on the streets. We gotta, it's, it's a human travesty. And the kid was like, it really is. And he's like, I vote for Ted. Cause we did like a mock election. They don't, they didn't know that mayor's already been decided. And like, and then he's like, I was like, well, this is what happened. Ted's sweeping him up. And he's like, no. And he was like complaining about the police. And I was like, did you know Ted's also the police commissioner? And he's like, what? So we're trying to educate them. We're trying to educate the youth. We are trying to educate ourselves. We are trying to bring it together. We are studying the people who are doing the work. This is Tin Can Phone. Got anything left to share with this audience? I right, man, you already know, man, when we strip the blue, when we keep it real, you know what I'm saying? It's your boy, Misfit Adi, Tin Can Phone, gang in his mind, Armand, Pretty Boy Pusto, what's happening? You know, it's all peace and love, and I got a lot of things, I got a lot out of this episode. Artist, what are you thinking? Uh, I mean, it's been good. It's been a tough month. Like I said, it's been some positive stuff, but it's also been real. And I think the real sign off, I mean, it's great to see you both doing well, but Mon, we've been like separated by the walls of, of all these different barriers, though we share a city footprint. And so for you to say that you got a lot out of this, uh, that's all. I thank God for Saturday. You know what I mean? Um, I'm glad I'm glad. So uh, thanks for being here, both you guys. You are listening to the Tin Can Phone podcast, where you can hear about the influence incarceration has straight from the source. We tell the story from the inside out. So make sure to check us out on KBU Community Radio every first Tuesday at 10 a.m. You can also check us out on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere you catch your podcasts. And make sure to give us a follow over at tincanphonepodcast.com. See you next time.